0: This is andy wakefield and this is the andy wakefield podcast this is a place where stories are told that have never been heard before welcome back to the
1: andy wakefield podcast my name is laurie martin gregory and andy great to be with you this holiday week it's turkey week
0: turkey week small turkeys this time around less (laughs) than what four or five people
1: yeah right i guess depending on what state you live in
0: (laughs) or a lot of leftovers
1: a lot of leftovers, not leftists.
0: Leftovers. Um, <laughs> nice to be with you as always. We have such a special guest today. Um, I'll let you introduce him. Absolutely, thank you. This is an extremely important day. It's been we've had so much awful news for such a long time. This is a really, really important piece of work that's just come out. And over the years, our guest today is is Dr. Zhang, uh, Jack Jack lyons weiler great scientist truly enlightening study that he's just produced. Just to sort of recapitulate, we've seen, for example, Tony Mawson's vaccinated versus unvaccinated study in populations of homeschooled children. We've seen Brian Hooker's analysis of three clinical practices that have a variable vaccination policy, have a a permissive vaccination policy that uh, as part of the, the process of informed consent allow um, for non vaccination on the one hand and full vaccination on the other. And then we've had some studies which have looked at specific instances of vaccines. And this, these include, for example, the study by Goodman and Gallagher of hepatitis B vaccine, the natural experiment described by Peter Obie. And I've pronounced Peter's name wrong for many years. Double A in Danish is O. So Peter Obie from. West Africa, which looked in a natural experiment at uh, DPT vaccine receipt, um, and it was broken down by age of vaccination. They simply, by virtue of their birthday, determined whether they got the vaccine or they didn't get the vaccine at the first clinic visit, and it naturally fell into a vaccinated versus unvaccinated study. And we had the data that really never made it to the public domain in a peer-reviewed form, and that was the CDC's Verstraten study, which looked at the hepatitis B vaccine in isolation, the first hepatitis B vaccine, and comparing children who received that first shot in the first 24, 48 hours of life compared to those who did not receive it at that time, then a seven-fold increased risk of autism in those who got it. Now, one thing that unites all of these studies the unifying concept through all of these studies, despite their shortcomings or their specific analyses, is that the health outcomes in the unvaccinated children were significantly better than those in who who were vaccinated. That is the one consistent finding. And now we have an extremely interesting study which seeks to overcome, and it does largely overcome some of the uh shortcomings, some of the deficiencies, some of the criticisms that could be leveled at those other studies. And this is in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, entitled Relative Incidents of Office Visits and Cumulative Rates of Build Diagnosis Along the Axis of Vaccination, an esoteric title, and here to describe it to us and the importance of this study is Jack, Jack Lyonsweiler. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy yeah, it's been uh, some time coming to see some
1: uh, it, uh, large-scale independent studies done. Um, and there's more in the hopper I understand from around the country, but I'm really pleased to uh, to discuss this with you and thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: Absolutely delighted. And, and what you've done here is you've taken a different way of looking at things, which fundamentally deal, deal fundamentally deal with one of the major criticisms of prior studies, and that is health-seeking behaviors. What I'd love you to do for a lay audience is to describe what health-seeking behaviors are and how they might produce distortion or bias within a study and how you addressed them and what the results were. Over to you, Jack.
1: Sure, so uh, in any observational study, there's always the possibility of a, some unmeasured source of variation that you haven't accounted for. It doesn't matter what you're studying. It's not anything special to uh, vaccine studies or pharmaceutical studies, for that matter. In fact, for my master's degree thesis in Ohio State University, I I lamented the um, you know the, the very serious problem of multiple causes. Uh, when you try to infer causality using ecological studies or any any of the soft sciences where you can't do true experiments, you literally cannot ex- rerun the evolution of diversity in the tropical rainforest, for instance. Um, you know, you, you have a sample size of one for all intents and purposes. You can look at patterns and so on. And there's always the possibility of demonic intrusions. This phrase, demonic intrusions, is actually established in the statistical literature uh, around study design, this uh, research study design literature, where there's just something that you didn't have the resources or didn't think to measure. Um, and so you have the possibility of what should be unilaterally recognized as potential confounders. Okay. And, and, and putting the emphasis on potential confounders, because all too often, and when there's a lot at stake, um, for, for instance, the billions of dollars in the vaccine industry, and soon to be trillions of dollars in the adult vaccine industry um, when there's so much at stake, the mere hint that there might be some potential source of variation that you did not accommodate in your analysis, for which in your design of analysis, is often used as if it were some fatal flaw that it must be truly a confounder simply because you thought of it. And the the obvious flaw in that logic is if you keep measuring variables in any retrospective correlation study, association study, where you don't have an experimental design that's capable of teasing out causality by controlling for every variable that that, that you know of, you can just simply continue to measure variables that you quote unquote should have known or could have measured. And due to the type one error rate, this is the possibility of getting to a wrong answer that looks significant in statistics. You'll eventually find what looks like a a, a rigorous confounder. And so the approach that we took in this study was to look at variables that we knew that we had the data for to see which ones could have been confounders and which ones might not be confounders for which we had data. So we looked at things like, were were the children breastfed? Did they have any family history of autoimmunity? What was the number of days between when they started seeking care in the practice and when they stopped? Or the last record we have, they didn't necessarily stop. This study has spanned over 10.5 years in pediatric practice in Oregon. Paul Thomas heads up that pediatric practice, and he's a co-author on this. And his team there is just really outstanding in what they've done for the health of the children. These children in this practice must be some of the healthiest in, in the United States, I'm sure. We looked at mean birth weight, and looking at these various sources of variation, we noticed that yeah, there, there seemed to be a, a difference in family history of autoimmunity. There seemed to be a, a difference in the days of care. Now, days of care simply means the period of time on, for which these patients have been cared for, which, of course, correlates with age. And so what we're really looking at is the days of care as a correlate variable of age. And we had age as well, but it would be completely redundant to uh, correct for both of those sources of variation. Because they correlate so highly, um, it's almost a perfect match. So uh, what we did was we said, OK, uh, first of all, we're not just going to look at vaxxed versus unvaxed. We're going to look at um, the, the cumulative effects of vaccinating uh, with respect to the cost uh, in terms of the health of the patients. How many times do they have to come to the office specifically for a build office visit that is related to some complaint, some health outcome complaint. and Paul's records are immaculate, very ex- excellent uh, care of, of his records. They're all electronic and it's very, very straightforward to go in and, and pull the data out. So under if everything were the same, between vaccinated and unvaccinated, For all of the issues of concern, all of the health outcomes that we measured, and we measured quite a large number of them, um, you would expect, one would expect that vaccinated children go to the doctor about the same amount of time as unvaccinated children for any of the issues of concern, say gastroenteritis. I know something something you're familiar with, uh, asthma, allergic rhinitis, allergy, and so on. And so we have a very robust null hypothesis that if vaccines don't cause ill health, this is the null hypothesis, then there should be an equal distribution of office visits themselves among the patients related to these diagnoses. I don't mean to- just total number of office visits, you know, how many times you go to the doctor, th- specifically related to specific outcomes, and so. We had two measures that we used as a positive control that is we know is associated with vaccines. And one of the measures was fever. It is uncontested, absolutely uncontested that that vaccines can induce fever. And the other variable that we have that serves as something of a negative control on the study design is the wellness check. That is for the programmed calendar dates for going in for your well baby visit, your well child visit, do the vaccinated kids go more frequently or do the unvaccinated kids go less frequently? And so there's so much healthcare seeking behavior measures here that, that, that we're really on top of all of it. And we found, of course, that fever increased with the percent vaccine uptake. The more kids that had vaccines, uh, the kids that had the most vaccines had the highest rates of fever. And wellness check. It was, you know, a slight increase in the uh, attendance to the well baby visits, but that's not unexpected to those specific visits because, well, the purpose of well baby visits really is is to keep up on the CDC uh, schedule. In fact, the well baby schedule matches the CDC schedule.
0: You've been listening to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. To continue the conversation, go to 1986theact.com slash membership, where for $5 a month, you can subscribe and access the Andy Wakefield Podcast in its entirety and much more.